Hello, this is Jeff Otis, partner at Evergreen, and you're listening to a deep dive with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I hope you enjoy this 30-minute deep dive conversation with co-CIO Jeff Dix on a recent chart book piece he put together that we emailed out to all clients. And as always, enjoy the lesson. Hey listener, this episode requires an extra disclosure. Jeff Otis is an employee and partner of Evergreen GovCal. All views and opinions expressed by Jeff and any guest of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen GovCal. Evergreen GovCal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode. All right, well, we have Jeff Dix back on the podcast. And Jeff, welcome back. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be here. What a market we're having. Uh, pretty incredible times right now. And what we're seeing, I, I think I want in today's chart book, I want to do a little bit more rapid fire uh, interview uh, in terms of um, what's happening and get your thoughts on a whole variety of different areas. Recently, you put together a chart book uh, that we sent out by email uh, that I thought was really good, really insightful, and covered a lot of different topics that I think our listeners would would really uh, find find interesting. And so I want to cover that today and get your thoughts on a, on a whole host of these different subjects. So I hope you're ready. Buckle up. Okay, sounds good. All right. So what are we seeing right now with inflation? Uh, well, inflation's been a major problem for markets this year. It's probably been the biggest single factor driving equities and fixed income. Uh, recently in March, CPI hit eight and a half percent. That was a, basically a 40-year high. Uh, even excluding the more volatile components, food and energy, inflation's up at 5.2 percent, well above the Fed's target. Last week, April CPI actually showed a slight reduction, which was good to, good to see at 8.3 percent year over year. But that was above expectation, and you know for now it's going to take some time for inflation rates to cool which is why the Fed is being so aggressive currently. Okay. What influence is the Russia-Ukraine conflict having? Yeah, on inflation, well, the, the expectation I'd say this year was for inflation to come down right around now, April, May. The year-over-year -year, uh, comparisons were going to get a little bit easier. So that was you know, a factor this year that inflation rates were going to cool. But obviously, that has changed significantly with Russia and Ukraine, the conflict that's occurred. And if you look at, you know, at that point in time, natural gas prices have basically doubled. Uh, oil prices have gone up significantly. If you look at agriculture, call it wheat, corn, uh, all of those things have gone up rather considerably over the last three months. So it's only pushed inflation rates higher at a time where inflation rates were actually supposed to come back down. You mentioned this earlier, but where do things stand with the Fed? Well, the Fed, you know, of course, has been way behind the curve. You look at how many times they've raised interest rates. It's been twice or 75 basis points. They did 125 and 150 last meeting. The balance sheet has not even come down at all and remains about $4 trillion higher than it was pre-COVID. Uh, and, and if you look at, call it GDP, nominal GDP or retail sales, Really, back in 2021, you had retail sales go back above the pre-COVID level. Nominal GDP went above the pre-COVID level. So at that point in time, that type of you know accommodation was not needed, uh, and they kept the, the the pedal to the metal uh, and 
that's what's really caused this inflation spike. And, you know, they could have started to raise rates slowly back then, uh, but they waited and now we have this inflation problem and now they're really uh, going to be ramping interest rate hikes up quickly and they're going to start paying back the balance sheet soon. So part of it was Fed-induced um, and that's really what's caused that major surge in inflation followed on by the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Can you add maybe an extra comment on just what we're seeing in GDP and retail sales? I know you just covered a little bit of it, but just maybe further expand on that. Uh, yeah, well, retail sales has been strong uh, last month. Uh, we saw a major revision up in March. April was strong, so the consumer has been spending. GDP contracted actually in quarter one, but the part of that was a an inventory issue. And if you look at real final sales, that was that was quite healthy, uh, which is a, probably the most important component of GDP. So the economy is in is in a good place right now, and the consumer is in a good place. So both of those are trending in the right direction. And what about fi- financial conditions right now? Yeah, so despite the Fed only raising rates twice and really have not uh, brought down the balance sheet at all, you've seen a major tightening in conditions, whether you look at, say, Treasury rates, the two years up at 2.6, the five years up at three, and and the two year was basically at zero seven months ago, call it 10 months ago. Uh, The 10 year has gone from one and a half to 3%. If you look at Corporate bond yields, they basically doubled from the low. Uh, the 30-year mortgage rate's up at 5.5%, up from about three, 10 months ago. So, you know, the Fed has has talked and, and you know, really let the market know what's going to happen in terms of interest rate increases over the next, call it, 12 to 18 months. Uh, and despite only raising twice, you've seen a lot of tightening across interest rates and, and lending rates across really most of the economy. Big move. Uh, anything you're seeing with the yield curve as a potential recession signal? So the the yield curve did invert earlier this year. And just as a little bit of a guide to history, that's been one of the best indicators for a recession over time when the, when the yield curve inverts, basically when short-term rates go higher than long-term rates. Um, so that that is at a relatively uh, tight level right now. It's not inverted today, but it's close. Um, so the the, the yield curve is basically worried about a slowdown in growth if you look out the next year or two. Uh, Bloomberg has a probability of U.S. recession over the next 24 months. That's running right around 33%. So that indicator is saying there's one-third chance that we see a recession uh, over the next two years. And, 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 and there is a chance of a soft landing. You see that, that happen every once in a while, but more often than not, when that recession indicator starts going up, usually you do get a recession. So we're we're sort of on high alert for a recession over the next couple of years, but so far we still think the economy is in pretty good shape. So certainly growth's going to slow as uh, as you get a lag effect for rising interest rates across the economy. You mentioned the move in mortgage rates, but what are your thoughts on the housing market? Well, I mean, you've had a a huge move up in in, in borrowing costs on the 30-year mortgage. At the same time, look over the last year, housing prices have gone up more than they have in the last 20 years at about a 20% annual increase. Historically, when mortgage rates go up, you have a lagged effect of housing prices cooling and not necessarily going negative, though they can go negative. Um, they did go negative in during the financial crisis, and they did go negative for a period in 2011, 2012. 
but generally, when you have a spike in interest rates, the rate of change for housing prices goes down. So, for instance, in 2016 to 2018, mortgage rates went up to about 4.75 from 3.5. And, and then you had very, very low single-digit rise in, in housing prices over the next couple of years. This time's a little different because you've had a huge spike in mortgage borrowing costs, bigger than we've seen at the same time when housing prices are up 20% year over year. So looking out, it seems very, very likely, uh, and there is usually a lag effect to that, um, but looking out over the next 12 months, it, it wouldn't surprise me if you, if you see that 20% number go to zero uh, and even negative in some areas of the country. So housing prices, you know, stop going up at least near term while mortgage rates are elevated. You're starting to see a bit of a slowdown in the housing market already. Yeah, I don't know how lagging it is, at least where we live. I'm starting to see actually quite a bit more inventory, and we've seen a number of houses sitting for weeks now and price cuts. So I think it's actually already starting to show up. And I just kind of wonder what's what uh, the thoughts are on home sellers when they're still anchored to previous home values that were selling maybe even six to eight weeks ago in their neighborhoods and how quickly it's moved. So that's a, that'll be a fascinating one to follow. But let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about supply chain. Yeah, the supply chain certainly has had issues, particularly in China. They have the zero COVID policy right now. Um, the good news is in Shanghai, they had three days of zero new cases last week. Uh, so you're likely to see a reopening in the Chinese economy, and they may even move away from the zero COVID policies uh, over the next six to, you know, over the next few weeks, next few months, next year, we'll see. But the, China should reopen. That should help the supply chain issue. Uh, in terms of manufacturing in the U.S., we're still in expansion territory, but there are supply constraints, which is leading to inventory shortages and production shortages. Uh, but overall, demand still remains pretty strong. Uh, but it's sort of a murky outlook, I'd say, on manufacturing given and supply chains, I'd say, overall, given kind of what's happening in China and, you know, lack of raw material uh, availability as well. So uh, manufacturing strong, demand strong, but still you have the supply chain issues that are definitely a headwind to that sector. Well, something, to, something to track. I mean, it's, it, it's been a big issue now for a couple of years, and we were hoping that it would work itself out by now, but still obviously having an impact. Can you talk about or comment on the labor market? Yes, uh, the labor market is probably the hottest part of the economy currently. Uh, we've had 12 straight months of 400,000 jobs added, which is incredible. Um, the unemployment rate is at 3.6%. We have a record number of job openings. Um, the quit rate also is at a very high level which indicates people are willing to quit uh, and because they think they can find a better job. And quite frankly, uh, a lot of uh, consumers or uh, people are finding new jobs and higher wages. So in wages are increasing, which I think overall is a good thing for economy. Uh, the employment cost index was four and a half percent for the month of April. When you add on the unemployment rate dropping, actual overall wages is, is rising around 12 percent. Uh, when you think of the wage increases plus the amount of new labor that's in the market as well. Now, inflation is running higher than what the wage increases are today. So at least over the last few months, uh, you have negative real wage growth. But our hope is that inflation comes back down and wage growth does tend to be sticky. That's certainly helping the lower age, the lower wage cohort. Uh, you're seeing even faster wage increases uh, for that, that area of the labor market. So overall, very strong labor market, 
that's going to have an impact on profit margins for corporations, but it also indicates, you know, the consumer is strong. So there's an offset to that. Yeah, speaking of the consumer, so just what about household balance sheet? Household balance sheet is great. Um, you look at, say, debt to disposable income, it's near the lowest level in the last 20 years. Uh, it, it hasn't been better over the last two decades. If you look at, say, household assets versus liabilities, that's also at a record. So household assets are about 168 trillion, liabilities are at 18 trillion. So the difference between the two is at a record. So record net equity. Uh, obviously, that's being hit a little bit right now with financial markets coming down. But uh, you know, equity, equities in homes still remain quite high, and the consumer has still a relative high amount of pent up savings, I'd say, and demand strong as well. So the consumer is in good shape. Obviously, on the employment rates improving as well. So you know, consumers in good shape. All right, moving on to everyone's favorite topic, uh, stock market and stock market performance so far this year. Let's start with the S&P 500. Yeah, the S&P is down right around 15% on the year. Uh, the NASDAQ from peak to trough was down 30 last week. Small caps are down around 22, 23%. International equity is down 15 to 20. So we're certainly in a, in a bear market. I would say if you look since 12, 31, 19, uh, the annualized return still still been 11% for the S&P 500, including this sell-off. So, you know, part of it is we had such a big run-up uh, last year, last three years, I should say. Uh, so we were due for, for some sort of sell-off, uh, but it's certainly been nasty. You know, there hasn't been a lot of places to hide, uh, and we're certainly, you know, facing a bear market uh, today. Well, speaking of places to hide, that's funny you mentioned that. Uh, how about energy stocks and, and commodities, at least in this uh, in this year? That area has been one of the best places of the market. Uh, the energy, the S&P 500 energy sectors, up close to 50%. Fertilizer and agriculture subsectors up 20. Precious metals and mining stocks are slightly positive. You know, fortunately, Evergreen's had a lot of that exposure, uh, healthy exposure to energy-related securities energy infrastructure stocks. So we've fortunately had that area buffer our portfolios, but anything with a hard asset component, agriculture, energy, other commodities, precious metals, that has been a really good area to invest this year with inflation rates running high. And you know what's interesting, I just make a side, side comment with active investing. It's certainly been a good year for active investing. And one of the big problems with passive investing is when you get a shift in in trading and sentiment, you know, the, the, the underlying passive indices tend to be underweight what that shift. So it's it's certainly been good to, you know, for instance, the energy sector was only 2% of the S&P 500 at the low, uh, and it was up well above 10%, uh, say, a decade ago. So it's it's been good to invest in some of these beaten up, unloved areas of the market. Yeah, speaks to diversification a bit, doesn't it? Um, what do you see with recent earnings and forward-looking estimates? Yeah, uh, earnings season just finished up. Uh, you had uh, earnings growth of about 10% year-over-year, sales growth of 13%. Uh, over the next year, uh, the market's expecting 10% per year type numbers. Uh, we'd say, you know, with what's happened in terms of financial uh, conditions tightening, interest rates rising, you know, profit margins potentially coming under pressure, those estimates are probably a little bit lofty, 
but overall earnings have been strong this quarter. Uh, corporation corporate balance sheets are in really good shape, and you know with this sell-off, you know things from a valuation perspective look a lot more attractive than they did call it three months ago or six months ago. Uh, yeah, so so talk about equity valuations. Yeah, so you look at equity valuations. We're right around 17 and a half times next year's earnings for the S&P 500, 16 times 2023 earnings. That's about average over the last couple of decades. So valuations have come down and now look pretty reasonable. I, definitely for intermediate to long-term investors, it makes sense to dollar cost averaging of this decline. We're seeing a lot of attractive areas of the market that we can talk about coming up, but um, valuation definitely has reset lower. And earnings are growing, uh, as mentioned, 10% year over year last quarter. So it's, you know, you're, you're getting valuations coming down as earnings are growing. So as, as we move forward in time, the valuation is going to continue to improve. And how do those valuations compare to current interest rates? Uh, yeah, so one thing we like to look at is, say, a earnings yield on the S&P 500 relative to interest rates. Uh, in other words, an equity risk premium. And we're at an attractive level, I'd say, over the last 20 years. What's interesting is, given the spike in interest rates this year, that measure has actually gotten slightly more expensive. But still, over the last 20 years, looks pretty good. And our anticipation is that interest rates don't go up too much more. So that should improve as well, looking out the next, call it, year or two. You gave a little bit of a sneak preview about a minute ago. But yeah, let's talk about what areas we find attractive right now. And is there anything we've been adding to? Yeah, we've been adding to financials. Uh, you have a lot of financials down 20, 30%, high quality banks. You know, we recently added one of the largest custodian banks in the U.S. That particular niche of the financial sector is down 30% over the last few months. Trades under 10 times earnings. That area is highly correlated with short-term interest rates that are set to go up rather significantly. So that area makes a lot of sense. We just actually bought one of the largest U.S. auto manufacturers. Uh, that particular stock, which I'm sure everyone can figure out which one I'm talking about, is down 50% over the last four months. Trades under seven times earnings, pays a 3% dividend yield. We've also been adding to the home builder space. Despite our view that housing prices are going to cool, the home builder sector looks really cheap. Most of the stocks in that sector trade under four times earnings, around 20% free cash flows for those 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 uh, companies. And despite the fact that you know the housing market could slow a bit, we think those companies are really well positioned given the shortages of single-family homes in the U.S. On the equity income side, we're, we're adding to the mortgage REITs. Um, these are basically leveraged bond positions that hold mortgage debt, and mortgage uh, mortgage rates are way up, and mortgage mortgage debt prices have come down, and the yields have gone up. So the spreads are at a really, really attractive point for these companies. So, you know, in, in many cases, the yields are around 10% or more. Very good coverage uh, in terms of what these companies are paying down, their dividend yields versus what they're generating in earnings. So those are a few of the areas that we're, we're adding to. Speaking of income markets, you're giving, uh, you're, you're making my job easy. You just keep guiding us down the path here. So uh, speaking of income markets, let's talk about the start to the year so far. And uh, let's start with what, what's happened in the bond market. So if you, if you look over the last, 30 years, and, and this has been one of the worst, I think, for the 10-year Treasury, I, I heard a stat that our, that David Aram, it's the worst start for bonds since the late 1700s. But if you just look over the last 30 years, 
2022 has been the worst stock to bonds with a minus 10% return, and the second worst is 5%. So it's it's been twice as bad as any start to the year for bonds over the last 30 years. So it's been a it's been a bloodbath. You have investment grade bonds down 15, 16%. High quality bonds down 10. Uh, high yield bonds are down around seven or eight. So it's, there really hasn't been anywhere to hide. Even short-term bonds are down three or four percent, given the rise in short-term interest rates. Yeah, that's probably been the most uh, jarring thing in, in conversation with clients recently. Is just the everyone re- sees the the markets in terms of stock market price. Uh, you know, everyone people that follow the markets are paying closely attention to what's happening in the S and P, the Dow. Uh, the Nasdaq. So when they, you know, when we're talking to them about stock market down 15 to 25% on the year, that's well understood. I think uh, fewer people realize or know that the bond market's down 10. And so you've had this double whammy, obviously, with the, at least from what we're seeing uh, of what's happened to portfolios from the stock and bond side. So it's like your risky money's getting smashed and your safe money's not holding up the way that it has historically. Um, and so unless you have energy or, you know, other other components of things that are actually done pretty well this year, it's been tough sledding. Um, let's talk about Treasury yields right now. Yeah, so the Treasury market looks really pretty interesting on the short end uh, to get some safe yield cash flow. Two years at 2.6, five years uh, around 2.9. Uh, if you look over the last 10 years, that's basically near the high. That's where we got in 2018 and 2019. And we think that's a a safe area of the bond market to provide some cash flow and also provide some protection if we do say have that one-third chance of going into a recession uh short-term rates will come back down you'll get some price appreciation and you'll have some liquidity to spare so we've been adding to that corner of the bond market on the 10-year uh or longer we've been fairly you know unattracted to that space long-term high quality debt uh, at this yield level it may provide some protection in that type of recessionary environment, but it's still there's still quite a bit of duration or interest rate risk with that area of the bond market. So we're still quite underweight longer term high quality debt, but you know it's pretty attractive, I think, on the shorter end, two or five year. Hey, what about the corporate bond market? We've been pretty aggressive the last couple of months in the corporate bond market. Uh, you look at investment grade bonds at 4.8%. Type yields, so triple B rated corporate bonds are at 4.8. That's basically a 10-year high. That's almost where we got during COVID. Um, invest or high yield bonds are right around six, six and a half percent. Not as high as we got, say during COVID or some of the other spread widening events we've seen, but very attractive. And you know, the area that we're focusing on the most at Evergreen are either triple Bs split rated so companies that are invaded, uh, rated high grade high yield double b and triple b by one agency or even double b rated bonds and we're able to get yields in the five to six percent range for individual issues and not really take that much uh interest rate risk so buying bonds that are maturing in 2025 2026 maybe even after 2028-29 uh, and if we really like a credit you know, it's okay in our view to go out to say 2030, 2031, we're getting a really good yield. Because when you're locking in those yields over a longer time frame, that can be really attractive from a price perspective once credit spreads normalize down a bit or interest rates come down. You mentioned earlier mortgage rates. Any additional comments on mortgage rates? Otherwise, you want to ch- chat about midstream energy? 
Yeah, no, I just, we talked about mortgage rates. We think they're attractive. Uh, we're focusing on the higher quality players in that space, uh, particularly ones that have more agency mortgage backs, mortgage back exposure outside in, as opposed to more credit exposure, not agency, uh, commercial mortgage back expo, commercial exposure as well. So we're focusing on the agency mortgage rates. In terms of midstream energy securities, it's been a great performer this year. Uh, midstream energy securities we hold in our income portfolios, and they're up about 20% year to date. That's really helped buffer the downside for more interest rate sensitive areas of our income portfolios. You look at the interesting part about midstream energy securities is the valuation is still really attractive despite having back to back really strong years from a performance perspective. And you look at the price to cash flow for these securities, and it's around six times. The low was around four and a half. Um, and the six times underlying cash flow is still below where it was in 2015 and 16. So what that means is the actual fundamentals have improved in correspondence with the increase in price. And that's not always the case. Uh, so a lot of times you'll have valuation improve and fundamentals not change that much. But what's nice about this sector is that the cash flows have grown with the increase in price and valuation is still very attractive. But that said, we have been trimming down this space given the run-up. So we've sold, you know, we held, call it 10% of in our income portfolios. They're up 20% this year, and we've just brought them back down to about 10%. All right, well, I'll get you out of here with this and appreciate you doing this rapid fire, almost car wash uh, type <laughs> style. And my two-year and a half-year-old would appreciate that because he's totally obsessed with car washes, he has like a GPS in his head. And anytime we go buy one, um, but let's finish it up with this. Okay, the title of your chart book was short-term pain, excuse me, short-term Fed pain for long-term economic gain. So give us your final thoughts here. Yeah, I think that that does sum it up well. Uh, you know, the Fed is tightening right now and they're tightening aggressively and they're tightening to get inflation under control. And, you know, we're in a point in time where there there isn't, really a Fed put because the Fed's more concerned with getting inflation under control than stabilizing the stock market. And that hasn't always been the case over the last decade. Whenever we would get these type of pullbacks, the Fed would come to the rescue and maybe stop pairing the balance sheet, excuse me, talk about lowering interest rates. They just can't do that right now because their number one you know, enemy or target or you know, issue with the markets right now is inflation running too high. So, you know, our view is they're going to try to get inflation under control and we're hopeful they can do that. But that, if they're able to engineer that, that's going to set the stage for the next, say, economic expansion covering equity markets. Um, so it's certainly been a challenging year so far. And our anticipation is that, you know, we might not have seen the worst of it yet. But as inflation rates come under control from tightening financial conditions, that's going to set the next stage for the next up moves. And corrections are painful to go through, but they're also healthy. You know, we get a couple of them every decade, um, and it, it gives us the opportunity to shift our portfolios, use our cash, find really good companies at bargain prices. So, you know, it's a painful thing to go through uh, in terms of what we're seeing right now with financial markets, but it also sets you up the next bull market. So we're, we're really trying to position portfolios to, to come out of this in a strong way. And, you know, we think hopefully we're, say, two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through that.
downturn. Well, I appreciate all your insights here. I think I, you know, from my perspective in 15 years here at Evergreen, this has been the most challenging of markets for us to navigate. Uh, given everything that's going on from so many different uh, sides. But in client reviews recently, I mean, there has been some relief of sorts and how well our strategies have been holding up comparatively. And I say that pretty much across the board, right? I mean, everybody's got, you know, their own mix of assets and their own approach, depending on whatever their financial plan dictates and outlook and time horizon, risk tolerance, et cetera. But pretty much review by review, clients are, you know, uh, reasonably, uh, impressed with with uh, performance so far and and how well we're, we're, we've navigated this environment. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of anticipation and and a lot of, I would even say some concern. You know, and and uh, you know uh, in terms of where we're headed and uh, you know then yet a lot of uh, comfort knowing that you and your team are at the at the at the dials. You know, with the uh, with the controls at hand. And so, you you know, you guys do such a great job and I know you guys are working so hard to, to figure this out. So I really appreciate you jumping on us, getting some thoughts uh, on what's going on here and, and we'll get you on again. Thank you, Jeff. It was good to be on and appreciate those comments. Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.